All right, listen, a couple of weeks ago, we celebrated 4th of July. Every year, we light up the sky, and we do a lot of yahooing because that's the day that we celebrate the birth of our country. That's the day that we celebrate the Continental Congress uh, who declared our independence, our freedom from the British Empire. Great day. We celebrate every year. Last week in Exodus chapter 12, verses 1 through 13, we looked at God. He gives the minute details of the Passover celebration to the Israelites, and he establishes that as a memorial to his declaring their freedom from Egypt, their freedom from slavery. And he said it's so important that this will be the very first month from now on of your calendar year. He built into their life a cycle of worship, a cycle of worship of remembrance, so that they would always remember, so they would always worship, they would always be grateful and teach their children the good things of God and what he has done. Today we're going to look at 14 through 20 of 12, and in, and in this passage he establishes another feast. It's called the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Now, there are two different feasts, Passover, Feast of Unleavened Bread, but they really roll into one week-long celebration, okay? They're separate, but together. They dovetail into each other and form a week-long party. And so uh, we're going to look at what God's teaching through this and why he established it and all. And so let's dive in and let's begin looking at Exodus 12, verse 14. We're going to go all the way through 20, but let's kick it off by looking at 14. This day shall be for you a memorial day. And you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations as a statute forever. You shall keep it as a feast. Now, as we look at this, uh, notice he, he talks about the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Passover. He talks about this. He says three things about them. And I think it's important that we look at these three things and talk about them because they will help you understand what they're about. And there's great application for our life. One, he says it's a memorial. Two, he says it's a feast, a party. Three, he says it's a statute, it's a law, okay? So let, let's look at the first one, a memorial. You know, memorials are so very important in our life. You hopefully have some memorials in your home that remind you of some things. You have wedding pictures. Some of you ladies do scrapbooking, and you scrapbook different events. You know, you have your degree maybe that's, that's framed somewhere. You have these things that remind you of very specific, very important dates, times, events in your life as memorials that cause you to look back and, and remember. You know, our country, our world has memorials, and they're very important because they help us to remember. I want to show you a picture of a few of the memorials in our world. One, think about the USS Arizona. These are some of the most famous. The USS Arizona. This is the memorial. Uh, it's in Honolulu. I've never been there. Some of you have been blessed enough to go and be a part of or walk through the USS Arizona. It is made uh, directly over where the USS Arizona lies at the bottom there in uh, Pearl Harbor to, to memorialize those who gave their lives during the attack on Pearl Harbor, December the 7th, 1941. Uh, many of those who gave their life still the remains rest within the Arizona directly below the memorial. It's, it's amazing. It helps us to remember that event, right? Then you go and you've got Na Arlington National Cemetery. Took my family 
to Washington a few years ago on vacation because we love that kind of stuff. And man, we, 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 went, we, we saw all the memorials and, and, the, and the museums and, and all this kind of stuff. And the, the, uh, uh, one of the things that we did uh, was go to Arlington National across the river. Arlington National, 250,000 plus soldiers and dependents buried here to memorialize. And man, it's just awe-inspiring. It's jaw-dropping, to be quite honest. At least the first time you go, the, the tomb of the unknown soldier this is the tomb of the unknown soldier. And man, they, 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 they change the guard every so often and you're there and it's eerie and, and, and it's, it makes chills go up your spine and tears come down your face. It's, it's an incredible memorial to the sacrifice of what had to happen for our country to be independent, not just from the British Empire uh, years ago, but, but from all the, those who sacrificed so that we can be there, right? The, the, another that I saw there is the Lincoln Memorial. Right, you've seen this, the, the Lincoln Memorial, and I mean, it's, it's a memorial to arguably the greatest president in the history of our world, right, whose leadership was instrumental in the ending of slavery and molding and shaping our country into the direction, I mean, arguably the greatest president in the history of our world, and this is a memorial to him. Uh, if you go to Jerusalem, uh, I'm going in February, taking a large group uh, to Jerusalem. I do it every couple of years. Uh, we go to the Holocaust Museum in Jerusalem. Uh, there's one in Washington, D.C. I was there in Washington. It's incredible as well. Uh, the one in, in Germany is incredible as well. The one in Jerusalem is obviously incredible because of the significance of where it is, but there's one specific part of it that just tears your heart out. It's the memorial to the children, the children's memorial. And there you go through and it's, it's, it's hollowed out. It's, it's a cavern underneath, but it's very incredibly done. You walk in, it's pitch black, but they have these candles that, that are burning and all these mirrors that makes it look like the candles are just infinity in candles, right? And you walk through and there's, there's not, all it is is it's a recording and they're reading the names and, of the children that were killed in the Holocaust. There's 1.5 million children that were killed during the Holocaust. And so they read 1.5 million names. They read the name, the age, and the country of origin. And they just read it over and over. And it's just, when you come out of there, there's not a dry eye. It's a memorial. It helps you to remember significant, important things. That's what I'm trying to drive into your mind, the importance of these memorials, because that's exactly what God does in Scripture. He establishes memorials different memorials, things for us to remember so that our, we'll, our faith will grow and we will remember the good things God has done, right? The Passover, Feast of Unleavened Bread, is exactly that. It is a memorial. It's a, it's a memorial that, that God established to help remind us of what he's done because faith leaks and memories fade. And so God established these memorials, and, and, and he established them uh, to, to help Israel uh, understand, to remind them that they were slaves, that God redeemed them from Egypt by destroying the gods of Egypt, all the polytheistic gods that they worshipped. He destroyed them. They were nothing, and they, he redeemed them and, uh, to remind them how good he was. And, and, and we would think, how could they forget, right? I mean, they were slaves, God redeemed them for 400 years. How could they ever forget that? Well, you know as well as I do, we forget, don't we? A generation down the road, maybe not a generation, a week down the road sometimes, we forget significant things, right? I think you would admit, as, as do I, that we so easily forget or take for granted the good things God has done in our life. 
We, we forget the joy of our salvation sometimes, don't we? I mean, we of all, if you're a Christian, you have probably forgotten at some point down the road the joy of your salvation. We begin to forget that God saved us by grace and what that really means. We, we forget how good God is sometimes. We forget how sovereign God is sometimes when things are happening and we don't understand it and we get all tense. And we forget. And when we forget, what we generally do is begin to presume upon God or we begin to feel entitled to his blessings and, 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 and we forget. Now think about the, the, the moments in your life that Man, you were in trouble. You found yourself in a bad place. And all of a sudden, when you found yourself in a bad place, you prayed that prayer, Lord, if you'll get me out of this, I'll serve you for the rest of my life. And he did. And the rest of your life turned into the rest of the day, right? Because we forget. We, we forget. And, 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 and so God has established these memorials so that we will remember it's important for us to remember and celebrate the good things of God. We as a church need to remember what God has done in our life. Man, we look back, I've been here for 22 years, and, and, and man, on days, uh, you know, being a pastor is, is the greatest job in the world, uh, and on some days, it's the hardest job in the world, right? I mean, it, it, most days, I don't work because I, I love what I do, but there's some days where I work, right? And, and on those days where I come to work, and I have to work, and you know, you get all depressed, and you're thinking, man, I don't know why I do this. I can just throw in the towel and go do something. You know, you have those days, right? But then you just go back, and you start to remember all that God has done. You see, when, you, when your mind is on, on what God has done and how good he is, your perspective completely changes. Right? I mean, that's what some of us need to do. We need to go back in our life. We get depressed and, oh, how, 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 how bad we've got to think about all that God's done, the blessings. Start counting your blessings. Start counting them and writing them down and see how your perspective changes. Man, we need to remember what God's done in our church. Man, I mean, in the last 15 years, like, we've grown 600%. And like, it's like, really? I mean, God, you're good. God, you've blessed us. Uh, God, uh, the, the campuses that he has led us to begin locally, internationally, campuses in Brussels and campuses in Bangkok, partnerships in Brazil, Wounded Knee. We just had a group to go, Wounded Knee, South Dakota, to work on the, the uh, a reservation there. Incredible. We've got other partnerships all over the world. The people that he sent, the lives that have been transformed, the marriages that have been, that have been redeemed and saved. And I look out and I see things in your life. Man, I see significant spiritual events in the, in the lives of the people that are, that are in here, the people that have been here, and the people that, are, that, are, that are, have stuck here and that are committed here. I see, and I'm thinking, wow, I remember when God did this in your life, and it's amazing. And I also remember funny things, right? I mean, I look out at some of you dudes right now, and I remember when you had hair on your head instead of your nose and your ears, right? It's still there. It's just in your nose and your ears. I, I remember when happy hour for many of you was a two-for-one. Now it's like a nap, right? And so uh, I, I can remember we need to remember funny things and good things about life, a community, and we need to remember important things, right? Because that is, that's what God's doing here. He's establishing a memorial, and uh, he's establishing a memorial so that we will remember. Now, it's a memorial because it's important, right? Now, the second thing he said it was is a feast. Now, think about the fact that it's a feast. What's that mean? It means it's a party. It means that it's a celebration. That's what you do in a feast, right? Because I want, to, I want you to think of the pattern. You remember what God has done, Israel. Do the Passover every year. Remember what God has done. It's a memorial. And the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And it's a feast. It's a party because when you remember what God has done, you get a little happy. I mean, you, when you remember, God saved me by grace. I can't believe, God, you saved me by grace. You forgave my sins. Man, you remember that, 
right? You, you, you remember that, and, and, and when you remember that, and when you remember all the other good things that God brought you through this, it caused you to get a little bit happy and to begin to worship and celebrate. And so he said it's a feast that where we worship, where we celebrate. And see, the thing is, many people miss what worship is all about. Many people miss the meaning of worship because they think, well, I want to go to church today, and I hope God gives me something. And I, I, I do too, right? And God, God, God will give you stuff in worship, but that's the complete wrong perspective. It's not about coming so that God will give me something. That would mean that God's worshiping you. It's not about God doesn't worship you. We come to worship God. Therefore, we come to give God everything. We come to give him our time. We come to give him our, 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 our focus. We come to give him our praise. We come to give him our money. We give him. We give to God. And when we give to God, the funny thing is, man, when you, give, you can't outgive God. When, that's what uh, Ken Hubbard used to say, my mentor. You can't outgive God. When you give to God, the funny thing is you get Right, because that worship's about giving God glory. Because when you remember, man, you just wanna you wanna bust out and praise. Right now, worship sometimes is about contemplation. That's remembering. Sometimes worship's about confession. Sometimes worship is about lament. We talked about. There's a whole book called Lamentations. Most of the Psalms are about lamenting. Right. Some of the. I mean, so worship is contemplative. It's contemplative. It's reflective. It, it, it's confessing. It's all those things. But then when you come out of that, it's like bursting forth and praising God and giving him praise. And yes, God, you're good. I remember what you've done in my life. And I think too many Christians don't do that because when I look around, way too many Christians take themselves way too serious, folks. I'm going to be honest. I mean, man, I see Christians, and they're some of the tightest people I've ever seen in my life. If I wasn't one, I wouldn't want to be one watching some of them, right? I mean, they're so tight, and I believe it's because all they've been taught all their life is what you can do and what you can't do, and this is the rules, right? I mean, man, you think about it. I mean, right? I mean, so, somewhere down the line, Christians are not supposed to dance, right? Now, that's not real. That's not true. I want you to know. But somewhere, someone come up with that, right? And I think it's, you know, the whole drinking, dancing, playing cards, and all that kind of stuff because the church was on one end of the town, saloon was on the other. Anything that went on in that area is wrong, right? But dancing's all in the Bible, just so you know. I mean, David danced. It says naked before the Lord. That's how we say it in East Tennessee. But David danced. Right? And so, but somewhere I'm like, oh, you Christians can't dance. It might lead to you smiling. Right? <laughs> and if you do, it's got to be, you got to leave room for the Holy Spirit to between you. I mean, man, Christians are so, we need to loosen up and we need to worship, right? I mean, we need to be serious. Don't get me wrong. We need to be contemplative. But man, we need to loosen up. When, we, when I remember, God, you saved me. God, you redeemed me by your grace. I didn't deserve it. Wow. God, you're awesome, man, woo, you know. I mean, man, I, I want to worship you. And, he, he, and, and some, sometimes, this is funny, we come in and sometimes I look out at worship and it's like, oh, you're awesome, God, how great thou art. I mean, God, we can sing those songs and sometimes we, we get a little happy. We start to raise our hand. Let me tell you what some of you think you look like. You're a little bit afraid to do that. Some of you think you look like this when you worship, okay? This is what some of you think you look like. <laughs> I can't do that. Lord, they'll think I'm crazy. Woo, boy, I come in there like a dancing, flying ballerina. Now, now, this is what you really look like, uh, you know. Anybody watching? Point is, folks, we need to, we need to when we remember what God has done, man, it should cause us to celebrate. That's what this feast is about. That's what this week-long feast, so you remember, and then you worship right? You feast, you party together. And then finally he said, it's a statute, it's a law. 
something that you do forever. Now, Jesus, for the Christians, Jesus superseded the, the Passover. He fulfilled it. That's what he did. Remember the night before he was having, that he was murdered, he was having the Passover, celebrating Passover with his disciples. He transitioned that Passover meal into the Lord's Supper meal, the communion, right? And so, so it's, there, there's no longer any religious significance for the Christian to the Passover. Historically significant, greatly. Religious significance, no. That is now with the Lord's Supper. So the statute, the statute, the law that he established, the principle is still there. We celebrate in the Lord's Supper, right? We celebrate with communion by remembering. And then we, we celebrate, which what's what we did last week, but then we celebrate and we remember on and on and on and on and on forever. So it's a, it's a, it's a memorial, it's a feast, a party, and it's, it's, a, it's a law that we do this, all right? Now, let's go in and begin to look at at the, uh, uh, the, the details of the, some of the details. We looked at the details of the Passover last week. Now in, in 15 through 20, he gives the details of this. Let's look at them. It says, seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove leaven out of your houses. For if anyone eats what is leavened from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. Uh, that was a very important, by the way. We're going we're to talk about what that means, cut off from the congregation of Israel. On the first day, you shall hold a holy assembly, and on the seventh day, a holy assembly. No work shall be done on those days, but whatever, what everyone needs to eat, that alone may be prepared by you. And you shall observe the feast of unleavened bread, for on this very day I brought your host out of the land of Egypt. Therefore, you shall observe this day throughout your generation as a statute forever. On the first month, from the 14th day of the month at evening, you shall eat unleavened bread until the 21st day of the month at evening. For seven days, no leaven is to be found in your houses. If anyone eats what is leavened, that person will be cut off from the congregation of Israel. He says this a couple of times. You're talking about eat, don't eat leavened bread, clean your house from unleavened. That, that's that, that, it's over and over and over, so it's very important, right? Uh, uh, cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he is a sojourner or a native of the land. You shall eat nothing leavened in all your dwelling places. You shall eat unleavened, only unleavened bread. So you're seeing this repetition through these verses. Clean out the leaven, don't eat any, don't eat any leaven. You're only to eat unleavened bread. Don't, don't, only eat unleavened bread. Over and over he says that, right? Seven days, no leaven. On the first day, clean, uh, uh, he says you'll be cut off if you do twice, right? So, so let, let's go through some of these details. First, he says you, you, you're not to eat leaven for seven days in your bread. Now, remember the Passover when God came through in Egypt, some of the details we looked at last week, they were to prepare the Passover lamb. And when they prepared the Passover lamb, they were to eat it with unleavened bread. It was called the bread of haste. In other words, they were to eat it and jet out of town in a hurry, right? I mean, they were to eat the, the food with their sandals on, with their, with their belt around their waist, their staff in their hand, ready to eat and go, fast food, right? Eat and get out of town. So it was called the bread of haste. Leaven would have taken much longer. That's why when we did communion last week, and when we do communion, we do the wafer that's unleavened, right? It doesn't have any leaven. That's why it tastes, you know, like it does. It doesn't have the leaven in it, right? And so it's the bread of haste, all right? Now, now uh, uh, somewhere along the line, and I don't know really where, but somewhere along the line, uh, rabbis began to institute a rule saying that when they, when they did this unleavened bread for the feast, that 
they, they could only have 18 minutes to make it. 18 minutes from start to finish, from kneading to baking. Now, I've never made bread in my life. Can you imagine? I mean, I made a bowl of cereal this morning. That's about as detailed as I get, complex in cooking, right? And so I've never made a bread, but I don't know. But kneading to baking in 18 minutes is quick, right? Now, here's what I want you to understand about that. Uh, that was not a biblical rule. But then that became uh, almost an authoritative thing. And I say that because we so often add rules to the Bible. Did you know that? We so often take the principle that's there and then we begin to define what it is according to what we want it to be. And, you know, I don't know why they said 18 minutes. That's not what God said in the Bible. I don't know why they said 18 minutes, but they added to rule. And that's exactly what the Pharisees did. Do you remember? They, Jesus, what did the Bible say about the Sabbath? Honor the Sabbath day and keep it holy. The Bible talks about a Sabbath and a Sabbath principle. Well, the Pharisees began to outline and detail what it meant to honor the Sabbath. And uh, they, they began to literally get down to the detail of the number of steps that you could take. If you take one more than the number allowed, then you didn't honor the Sabbath. Uh, they would actually say you can't drag a chair across your room in your house because your, your floor would have been dirt. And if you drag a chair across the floor, it might make a little line in the ground and that would be constituted as plowing and you worked on the Sabbath, so you can't do that. I mean, you could only pick up so many sticks. You could only, you had to cook. I mean, they began to say, remember Jesus, went, they, they battled Jesus on this, right? I mean, they battled Jesus and Jesus, what are you talking about? Man wasn't made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man. Do you remember? I mean, because that was not biblical stuff. I say that because folks, we can add so many rules to the Bible. And it makes us then become so judgmental sometimes. And judgmental is not if we judge people off of the Bible, but it's if we judge people off of extra biblical things or off of ourselves. And we add so many rules to the Bible. We do it with so many things. I talked about dancing in a funny way. I mean, you know, that's what I said, playing cards. I mean, that's not a biblical thing. I mean, I mean, even alcohol, we do it with alcohol. It's like, oh, man, I mean, it can't, if you, I mean, public's got out with wine now. It's like, well, I can't walk down that aisle, many Christians, you know. That, that's, not a, that's not a biblical thing. There is a biblical thing on alcohol. What is it? Drunkenness. Even for pastors, what's it say? He can't be addicted to too much wine, Right? Doesn't say you can't drink. Doesn't say you can't. Says you can't get drunk, right? And so I say that. Here's what I say. I say that because I want you to know at LifePoint, we are going to preach the Bible. We're going to preach the Bible. And we're going to preach what the Bible says. We're not going to be extra biblical. We're not going to bind your conscience with things that are not biblical. We're going to, we, we're going to tell you exactly what the Bible says, and that's going to be our heartbeat, okay? So, so anyway, the bread of haste, that's why they did unleavened bread, because they had to eat it in a hurry and jet out. But there, there was also an, another reason. He says, you know, as they said this, it says that they should remove all the leaven from their house on the first day. On the first day for one week, they had to do a deep cleaning and to get all the leaven out of their house. Why? Well, because, now think about leaven. If you're going to make a, a loaf of bread today, uh, you ladies who, who make bread, and man, some of you make incredible bread, and I've had it. And, you know, if you wanted to, you could go down to Publix, and you could, you know, go past the wine aisle and get you some yeast. You could go past the, and get you some yeast, a yeast packet, right? And, and so you could, you could make bread. But the best best bread, right? I mean, it, it's probably not made with the yeast packet. I don't know. Some of you ladies probably do a great job with the yeast packet, but the best bread is made with, it's called a starter. Is that right, ladies? A, a, a yeast starter. Well, that's what they had. They didn't have yeast packets. They had starters. They had lumps of dough that had already fermented, 
and they would rip a little piece of that off and it, they would use it in the bread and a little bit of it would work through the entire loaf, right? And that's, that's what they would do. And they would use it over and over and over and over and over. And so here's what happened. He said, clean it completely out because number one, no leaven, because leaven was a, was a symbol, not only of the haste, not only that they left, it causes us to remember how we had to leave, but it's also a symbol of the corrupting power of sin in the Bible. Leaven's not bad. It's a symbol of the corrupting power of sin because how a little bit works through the whole batch, right? And so, so he said, get it all out of your house. Well, why? Why did they get it all out of the house? Why could they not just, you know, wrap it up in, in uh, aluminum foil uh, or whatever they had back then? Why couldn't they have wrapped it up? put it in a cabinet and a and refrigerator. And why? Because if you know anything about yeast strains, you know that even if you got yeast in your house, you don't have to rip it off and put it in. Some can migrate into the bread, right? It can accidentally migrate into the bread. Matter of fact, there is in Brussels where we have our campus, there's a brewery there. It's 116 years old. And, you know, when they brew, they don't use any yeast whatsoever. They don't put yeast in the bread because it's all in the rafters. It's like mold in the rafters. It's yeast and it just migrates in there. And so that's what yeast does. And so it's called Cantillon. And it's, it, you can read about it. It's a cool, cool thing to, to read about. And so uh, as, as, as that migrates in, it, it, it infects it influences. So he said, get it all out because it's a symbol. It's a symbol of the corrupting power of sin, how yeast works through and how it can work through your life. Now, here's the bottom line for today. The bottom line uh, for today is we were saved to be sanctified. That's what I want you to memorize. We were saved to be sanctified. Why is that the bottom line? Because that's what the Feast of Unleavened Bread is all about. The Feast of Unleavened Bread is about reminding Israel that you were saved to be sanctified. God didn't just save the Israelites from something. He saved them to something, right? I mean, sanctified is a word biblically that simply means becoming like Christ. Justified is a word that means you are saved. That happens in a moment. The moment that you surrender your life to Jesus Christ, then you are justified. That's a legal term. It means you're justified, right? So that's a moment. Sanctified is a lifelong process. Sanctified means every day I'm progressing. I'm becoming more and more like Jesus. And you know what? I say every day, and I want you to know there's some days that I don't look much like Jesus, right? So, so it's not like you make the same progression every day, but over a period of time, you know this year I, 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 I'm more sanctified. I look more like Jesus. I think more like Jesus than I did last year. That's called sanctification. You were saved to be sanctified. That's what the Feast of Unleavened Bread is all about. God didn't just save Israel from Egypt. He didn't save them just from something. He saved them to something. He saved them so that they would worship him, so that they would serve him. He saved them to send them, right? And so, therefore, you need to understand that if you're saved, if you're a Christian, you're saved to be sanctified. He didn't just save you from something. He saved you to something. He saved you to serve. He saved you to send you, right? So, therefore, we need to get the corrupting influence out of our life. Now, many Christians do this and try to do this, and most of the focus is on behavior modification. Religion and behavior modification are very similar. They're the same thing, really. You know, religion is, okay, you got to do this, this, this to please God. Behavior modification is, well, I'm just going to work hard, put my nose to the grindstone, and I'm going to beat this thing, right? 
And, and, and here's the thing. When we do that, and I think it is important that we put that effort. I'm going to talk about that in a moment. But when we do that, depending on how strong of a willpower we have, we can stay in it for a minute. Sometimes we can say, I'm going I'm to quit doing this. I mean, you can think about, I'm going to quit doing this, and you quit doing this habit, and sometimes it lasts a day, sometimes a week, sometimes a year or two years. But if all you do is work on the outside, if it's all external behavior modification, you can quit doing a behavior, and man, you might even last, but you're going to be miserable. You know, I mean, it's miserable. And, and it's on your mind. And so you got to go deeper. And what happens is it's an internal transformation of the heart. It's an intern. Because you begin to love Jesus more, what happens is as you love Jesus more, you begin to hate sin more. Right? You love sin less. You love Jesus more. You love sin. The things that you once loved, you begin to hate. And you need to pray, God, give me a hate for sin. Help it to just help the stench. Help it to stink to me. Help it, help it to taste horrible. Help me to hate sin. Right? So it's an internal transformation, and, and, and that's what lasts because now your whole, your, your life is about something different and your desires are about something different. Now, that doesn't mean you don't change your behavior and cut up because you be holy as Christ is holy. So when you're doing something that you know dishonors God, you stop. So it's not saying you don't focus or do, behave, you know, change your behavior. But it's saying that the focus should be on transforming into the image of Jesus and your heart loving Jesus more because when you love Jesus more, then you'll hate sin, and that's, that'll stick. But that also means that you, you, you need to, to cut those influences out of your life. You need to take some action, right? You need to take some action. L listen, in our world today, let me give you a couple of examples. In our world today, pornography is killing men and women. It's killing. We were, we were having a discussion in our office this week about just because that's one of the, the areas of ministry that, man, we, as we dive into that's killing marriages, it's killing future marriages, and you don't even know it. It's killing men and women in growing numbers. And I'm just going to tell you, okay, I've got to stop that. Now, now, now you've got to pray every day because you'll never do that in your own power because that's a stronghold. So the power of the Holy Spirit defeats it, right? But you've got to start cutting the influence out of your life. And some of you, that means you need to get rid of your Facebook. You need to get rid of your Instagram. If you're right eye offends you, cut it out. I don't think he's telling everybody be blind if we did that stuff, right? So we've got to understand what's the principle, what is he saying? Listen, what is your triggers? Facebook, you trigger, cut it out of your life. Instagram, you tr trigger, cut it out of your life. Some of you need to be very serious about that. And if it means I love God more than I love my Facebook. I love God more than I love Instagram because I, love, I know where those things are going to lead me and they're going to lead me away from God. Right? You're dating. I don't care if you're a teenager in high school or if you're a 50-year-old single man and woman. You're dating. I'm just going to tell you, dating principle says you shouldn't be alone in a house with the woman or man. You say, oh, Pat, I'm 50 years old. Yeah, I know you're a man too, right? I mean, you're a woman. And there's desires and there's hormones. And you love Jesus, but you also have hormones. And you have desires. And so you, you know what you do? You say, hey, look, I love Jesus. And I really do trust you. But I want to I, I, I make sure. And so I, I know here, here's some boundaries we got to set. Listen, you got to cut anything out of your life that's going to cause you to possibly dis. you got to cut anything out of your life that's going to cause you to dishonor Jesus. Okay? And so think about this. The Israelites had been in Egypt for 400 years. So you know what happens when you're in a culture for 400 years. You begin to look like the culture, right? Very, very, I mean, you begin, you, they had begun to worship. 
the, all the gods of Egypt. They had begun to worship them. How do we know this? Because when they were in the wilderness, when Moses went up on the mountain, we'll see this. When Moses went up on the mountain to get the Ten Commandments, what happened? They had Aaron, Moses' brother, to fashion some of the, the bounty that they took from Egypt. The gold and had, had him to make a golden calf for them to worship. And we know that bull worship was very prominent in Egypt. So they had, began, they had begun to, to take on and worship. They had become idolaters. And so what happens here, Phil Riken, I love what he says. He says that God is not just get, trying to get Israel, or not just interested in getting Israel out of Egypt. He's interested in getting Egypt out of Israel. Did you get that? It's not just about getting Israel out of Egypt, but it's about getting Egypt out of Israel. And I think that is, that is so uh, good, at, such good application for our life. Because he's saying it's about leaving behind your old life. You've been set free. You're not a slave anymore. Why do you want to go back? And we so often want to go back, don't we? We so often want to go back. And we look and we do and we say, why did I go back? This is horrible. This stinks. And we so often want to go back. And you need to understand you're saved to be sanctified. God didn't save you just to get, the, get, get, get uh, you out of hell. He saved you to get the hell out of you, to be quite honest. And so we've got to understand and sweep out the leaven. That's what this Feast of Unleavened Bread is all about. Now think of the church in Corinth. Fast forward from Exodus 12, 1,700 years. Paul is preaching, the, the, the disciples, they're sent out. Their churches are being planted everywhere, and it's great. They're growing, and it's amazing. There's a church in Corinth, the city of Corinth. Comes out of the ground, it's doing great. And all of a sudden, man, the wheels fly off of the church. Right? I mean, the wheels fly off. It's Christians going wild. I mean, it's crazy in there. I mean, they're doing things that literally, if you read 1 Corinthians 5, here's what Paul said. Paul said that they are doing sexual immoral, sexually immoral things that make the pagans blush. It'd be like the church today doing sexually immoral things that making Miley Cyrus and Howard Stern go, are you kidding me? You know you're in trouble, right? That's what they were doing. And so Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, and you can read it there, and here's what he says in verses 6 and 7. He says, your boasting is not good. He's talking about them living in their old way of life and basically boasting and showing that in their life, their sin. Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? He's giving, notice, a commentary on Exodus 12. Passover, Feast of Unleavened Bread. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. Clean, cleanse out the old leaven. Exodus 12, cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. So he didn't say they weren't Christians. You can be a Christian in sin, folks, okay? You can be a Christian and fall into sin and be in sin for a bit. But now I promise you this, it, it, because you're a Christian doesn't mean you're not going to sin. You can fall into it. He said you really are unleavened. You can fall into it, but I promise you this. If you are a Christian and you are living in sin, whatever habitual sin that is, and I'm not talking about, man, this little, I mean, we all commit sins. If you are a Christian and living in habitual sin, you are going to be miserable in conviction because the Holy Spirit lives within you, and it's called grieving the Spirit. When you sin, the Holy Spirit's grieved. That creates this conviction and misery within you. If that's not there, if you're sinning, and there is no conviction, and there is no misery, then you're probably not a Christian because the Holy Spirit's not living within you, okay? So you can, as a Christian, be in sin 
Okay? And you can be miserable. You will be miserable if you are. All right? Because he says, you really are in leaven. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Great commentary on Exodus 12. Here's what Paul said. Paul said, look, Jesus Christ is our Passover lamb. His sacrifice redeemed you. As God redeemed the nation of Israel from Egypt, Egyptian slavery, the sacrifice of Jesus, your Passover lamb, redeemed you from your slavery and bondage to sin. Why would you want to go back? Cleanse out the stuff in your life that doesn't need to be there, he says. Cleanse it out. And some would think, well, little, little, little sins are harmless. You know, I mean, yeah, sure, Paul, they're talking about grievous sexually immoral sins. And you're talking about, you know, stuff like that, murder, adultery. I mean, no, no little sins. He's talking about even little sins. You know, lying, gossiping, your attitude. Little sins, if you think little sins are harmless, remember what he said, a little leaven spreads through the entire bunch. Folks, if you are at peace with any sin, you're at war with God in that area. So he says, cleanse it out. Cleanse it out. Also notice, he says, anyone who eats leaven during the seven-day period would be cut off from the congregation of Israel, and he says it twice, would be cut off from the congregation of Israel. Now, this, he says 36 times in the first five books of the Bible. He talks about being cut off from the congregation of Israel 36 times in the first five books of the Bible. Very important. This is talking about an Old Testament, an Old Testament church discipline. That's what he's talking about. Church discipline is all through the Bible, and it's very important, and it's very rarely practiced today. I want to talk about why it's important and why it's very rarely practiced. It's all in the New Testament. You can read 1 Corinthians. Read Paul. That's what, I mean, he has to discipline that church. But uh, church discipline is very important, and and it's for two things. One, it, it is to protect the purity of the church. The church is not going to be perfect. The church is not this building. The church is the people. The building is where the church meets. The church, which is you and me, we are not going to be perfect. No one needs, will, will look at you and say, oh, you're a Christian. You should be perfect, right? But there should be purity in our intention. There, there, we, we shouldn't be just like off the wall, the wheels off, right? So we should be pure and, and being sanctified as the church because the world looks in and sees, wow, is there a difference in your life? And so, therefore, it protects the purity of the church. Let's people know Jesus has transformed. And so, therefore, you got a, you got a dude, and he's out getting drunk and wearing leopard skin pants all over town, you know, and comes in and teaches a Bible study. And people's like, what's that all about? I mean, you, you, got a, you, got a, you got a dude leading worship, and all of a sudden, next day he comes in, he's wearing jeans, and next day he comes in, he's wearing a skirt and high heels trying to lead worship, you know? And then people's like, uh, what, what, what? I mean, you know, I'm sort of worried about Travis. He's got like a little sundress or something on today. That's where I'm going with that. And so, I mean, what, what, what's he got on, a sundress? I'm like, Phew, you know? But anyway, just kidding. Love to, love to pick on Travis. But uh you know, my, my point is, when, it, when, it, when they look in, if the, church, if the people look in and they say, well, what's the difference in the church than MTV? I can see that on MTV. You know, wh- 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 why, why do they want that? So it protects the purity of the church. The second thing it does, it protects the heart of the Christian, of the church member. It protects the heart of the church member. So, uh, uh, you know, and, and it's for redemption. Church discipline is not about, you know, when I discipline my kids, I've got, man, I've got, five kids, right? Two are grown. 
Uh, now it's uh, hopefully advice, right? It's, it's advice. They're grown, d- disciplined. They're men. I've got three little kids, and man, I, I have to discipline them. If there's, a, if there's a moment, there's a discipline just about in my house. One, I mean, it might be this one. As soon as it's this one, it's like, Lord, can I have an hour? Can I have an hour break? You, you know what I'm talking about, right? Discipline. Why? Because, I, because I, man, I just hate my kids, and I won't. No, because I love them. I love them too much to act like fools, right? I love them to let, too much to let them grow up and, and just be entitled. And I love them too much to let them grow up and, and not be respectful, you know. I, I love them too much. And I dis, that's what church discipline's all about. It's because it's about redemption, right? It's about, bab, there's some old historical Baptist documents that's got incredible insight into church discipline. I mean, the Bible's the greatest insight, obviously. But so, so the, the wording I like in some old Baptist documents talk about, you go, number one, when someone needs disciplining, because they're, 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 the wheels are off, or, you know, uh, I mean, they're living in, in, a, in a lifestyle that the wheels are off, you know? I mean, I'm not going to uh, talk about you lost your anger, I'm going to show up at your door, you know? And not every little sin, that's all we'd do. I'm talking about when you're living in a lifestyle, it says, some old, biblically, and old Baptist, Baptist documents, I love their wording, it says, you do it biblically, Matthew 18, go to the brother or sister, confront them biblically. I'm, I, if I'm in sin, you come to me biblically with the Bible, Pat. Here's what the Word says. Your life's contradicting this. That's not you judging me. That's the Word judging me, right? And then I've got an option. I've got, right now, I've got an option. I can push back and kick back, or I can say, oh, you're right. And if I don't listen, the Bible says, then you bring somebody with you and talk to me. Then you go to the church, and eventually, if they don't listen, you are to remove them from the membership. But here's the wording that I like. I say that, that's biblical, Matthew 18, go read it. That's not my opinion, okay? Uh, uh, Gives a whole lot more grace than than maybe I would in some situations, right? So uh, the biblical, then you remove them. But here's the Baptist, the wording I love in the old historical Baptist documents. When you remove them from the church, it says you no longer call them brother. Now you call them friend. You know what I love about that? Because through the whole process, it's about redemption. What do you do to a friend? You tell them about Jesus. You love them. You serve them. You influence them. You see, it's all about redemption. And you know what? We miss this. We miss this in our world today. You know why we don't do that? Or well, I say we, 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 we practice that here if we know stuff that's going on is the confrontation and all that stuff. But here's what happens. You know why it never gets down to, well, let's, let's, we've got to remove somebody from membership? Because in our world, especially in the South, where there's, you know, 14 churches for, you know, every three people just about, one on every corner, man, look, you discipline me, I'll just run over here. You discipline me, I'll just run over here. Right? That's why I said last week it's not good to like, you know, have your feet into it because, you know, if this one gets a little tough, I'll be, and it's not, it's, and it's hurt the church because it's hurt the believer because there needs to be accountability for growth. There needs to be accountability in my life. I need to be, you need to be held accountable, right? And so, so he says, it, it is, it, it, it is uh, uh, don't eat leaven for seven days. Those who are will be cut off, church discipline. He also says that, you know, no work is to be done except preparing food that is to be eaten. This is about focus. Don't eat on the first day or the seventh day. This is about focus, right? In other words, paying attention. It's like my kids. My Allie Kate, you know, my, my, all of my kids, I'm sitting watching a football game, and I promise you, every time it happens, all the time, and Amy's finally saying, did you hear, because they're trying, Daddy, watch this, Daddy, do this, and they'll finally come and get me and say, Daddy, you didn't watch. I'm like, Bobby, I'm watching a football game. I ain't paying a bit of attention to you right now. 
You know, I mean, well, that's what, that's what this is all about. This is about, look, I want your attention. I want you to focus on how good I am, on how, 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 how the blessings. I want you to focus on me. I want you to focus, right? And so he says, don't work so that you can focus. And, and then notice he says, why do you celebrate this? Because I've redeemed you. That's why. Now, now here, here, let, me, let me wrap it up with the pattern. Remember, God redeemed them, and he says, I'm setting this up. Passover, Feast of Unleavened Bread, so that you'll remember. I want you to remember how good I am. Christian, do you remember the joy of your salvation? Do you remember you're saved by grace? Do you remember how good God is? Do you remember that? Because when you do, you know what it should cause you to do? It should cause you to, 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 to repent, clean out the leaven. Because, listen, I remember God saved me. Oh, God, I, I want to honor you. Look at what you did. I don't deserve that grace. I don't deserve those blessings. I, I want to honor you. And this about my life doesn't honor you. Do you have those times of reflection? Do you have those times when you say, God, I want to remember. And you're remembering because you say, God, I love you. Oh, and then the Holy Spirit convicts you. Now I've got to get this leaven out. And then that causes you to burst forth in worship and praise. Because God is forgiving. God is good. God is gracious. God is sovereign. Wow. That's the pattern we're seeing here. That's what God's establishing. That's the pattern of the Christian life. Not so once a year we remember at Christmas or at Easter, or not so, you know, once every six weeks or so we do communion, remember, but every day, every day we have to get up. And every day I have to pray, God, I, today there's going to be all kind of opportunity for me to do my own thing and go my own way and to honor myself. Without the power of the Holy Spirit and submission into the Holy Spirit, I will do my own thing and I don't wanna do that. Every day I have to say that. Every day we have to remember, confess, and worship. That's the pattern of our life. That's the pattern of our life. That's what we're about. That's what we challenge you to do. And so Christian, I will ask you, do you remember? Do you remember the good things God's done? Do you remember the joy of your salvation? If you do, that should cause you to look at some areas of your life and say, let me get this leaven out. Let me get this sin out because I want to honor God. And then burst forth in worship. If you don't know him, we'd love to talk to you about what that means, how to do that, come back to the next steps. We would love to talk about that. We're getting ready to baptize several people. Uh, we're, I don't know how many were baptized, and we had one or two in the first service and a lot in this service. And I told the first service, I, I'm going to have to preach harder in the second service because obviously more people are getting saved in the second than in the first. And then I said, I don't know, maybe it's because the Christians come to the first service. I'm joking, joking, okay? I'm just joking. Really, I know it's because a lot of people, when they're baptized, for people to get here and everything, they do it in a second service. So we're going to baptize a lot of people here, several people. And you know what? These people are not going to be perfect. I say this all the time. But here's what they are. They're covered. They're marked by the blood of the Lamb, Jesus. And because of that, God's judgment has passed over them. God's judgment will either land squarely on top of you if you don't know him or it will pass over you because you're marked by the blood of the lamb. These people are not perfect, but they're marked by the blood of the lamb, Jesus. Love to tell you how to do that. Now, when we baptize them, it's the gospel. Last week we did the communion. It's a, it's a, it reminds us of the gospel. The, the body broken, the bloodshed, baptism, the gospel. Jesus Christ, perfect, died our death, buried raised again. These people, symbol of his death, burial, resurrection, these people died to an old way of life. They're redeemed out of Egypt, so to speak. They're redeemed out of sin. 
Their old life's buried, raised to walk in new life. Don't go back there, right? And so that's the symbol, and that's, the, that's, that's what we're going to do right now as we, as we, as we uh, enter into this time. Uh, Travis is gonna, I'm going to pray. Travis and our band's going to come. Uh, we're going to take up our tithes and offerings because that's a response time. Then after that, we're going to baptize. You celebrate. You worship because this is some of the good things God has done, and we need to celebrate that. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. We praise you. We thank you for your amazing grace. God, help us to remember. I pray that those who are Christians would remember the joy of our salvation. Remember from where we came. Remember what you saved us from. But, Lord, help it not to stop at what you saved us from, but to realize what you saved us to. God, as we remember... God, help us to confess because remembering should cause us to want to honor you and help us to purge out any. And, Lord, submit to the Holy Spirit to cleanse us of anything that, that dishonors you. And, God, from that, help us to birth forth in worship, burst forth in worship. Oh, God, we love you. And, God, I thank you for those in here today that you have redeemed from the, the, the Egypt, Lord, from sin. Thank you. God, I pray that today you would redeem more. God, I pray that today people would surrender their life to you. God, I thank you for these that we're going to baptize, the symbol of the gospel, their commitment. And I pray that it would inspire many. Help us to worship. Help us to remember, to confess, to worship, to respond how you've called us to respond. We love you in Jesus' name.